0: Good morning, church. Y'all looking good? So how are you doing? It's, uh, it's still springtime, but summer is coming, and the weather is getting much warmer, and so I'm happy. And if you didn't know, this time of year is actually graduation time. So if you looked at your social media like I do, happy parents all over the place are posting about their children finishing high school, college, and graduate school. So, I just want to take a moment to congratulate all the grads out there. Job well done. Well, my wife and I are also one of those proud parents because we just returned back from the East Coast where we went off to go see our youngest walk at her commencement ceremony. But before we went to New Haven, we made a, made a side trip to New York City, and we stayed there for a few days. And the place that we stayed happened to be near the New York courts and the district attorney's office. And whenever we went out or came back home, we would often bump into a bunch of news reporters and camera crews as they were waiting at the courthouse steps. And apparently, there's a trial going on involving one of our recent presidents that's getting national attention. Now, how many of you have ever been in a courtroom? Okay, quite a few of you. And even if you haven't, you're probably familiar with what goes on in a courtroom if you watch a TV show or a movie. And you all probably know there's a standard oath that's given whenever you take the stand in court goes like this. Do you solemnly swear that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help me, God, or help you, God. Hearing that oath, even if there is a penalty for perjury, does anyone really take that oath seriously? And does that mean anything anymore today? Now, some of you know uh, I'm a retired dentist now. It's been almost two years now. But whenever I would practice, it would never surprise me that a patient would ask me to fudge the claim form to their benefit and possibly hoping it would be to my benefit so that I could get reimbursed by the insurance company so that they would avoid paying out-of-pocket costs. Now, unfortunately, they don't have any skin in the game. I have to sign off and certify that claim. And there are certain words on that section where I sign off. It says, under the penalty of perjury, I certify that the treatment and um, information is correct. And I would have to apologize to my patients and say, you know, I, I can't do that. That's fraud. And then the usual comeback is, yeah, but everybody else is doing it. Well, folks, as Christians, we're not supposed to be like everybody else. With politicians, corporations, and society as a whole, telling lies has become the norm. The Nazi propaganda minister, George Goebbels, once said, repeat a lie often enough, and it becomes the truth. Our daily news feed is full of stories of investigations trying to get to the truth, just like that New York Trial I just mentioned earlier with a former president whose favorite response was fake news. So, what is true and what is not? And even with our Christian faith, is what we believe is actually true. There are so many denominations and church splits because we can't agree on doctrine. With all the voices in our lives and many so called influencers in our world, with so many falsehoods swirling around us, it's not hard to turn cynical and as a result not trust anything that we are told. But honestly, we shouldn't be surprised by any of this. From the beginning of time, lies have been told as long as Satan, the prince of deception, has authority on earth. And that's why we need Jesus and the help of the Holy Spirit to know the truth. And before we uh, look into the scripture for us this morning, I just want to prepare us with a word of prayer. So will you pray for me? Heavenly Father, you are the God of truth. There are no lies from you. That is the work of the evil one. Help us to see, hear, know what you want us to experience. Transform us through your word that never returns void. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And I pray this in the most precious name of Jesus. Well, today we are starting a new sermon series named This Is The Way. Now, some of you are probably familiar with that title because it comes from the Star Wars show, The Mandalorian. And if you know the story, this often repeated mantra of the Mandalorians is an agreement on a set of standards for battle, honor, and life. Well, our Lord Jesus also has a set of standards for life. And from John 14, verse 6, Jesus proclaimed, I am the way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, Jesus is not simply saying the words out of his mouth are the truth. He is literally saying he is the embodiment of truth. Jesus is truth personified. Both his words and actions are the same. Jesus walked to talk. And as devoted followers, we are to be like him. What Jesus is claiming in John 14, 6 would be outlandish if Jesus was merely a man. But we accept him as truly God. And if we do, we can conclude that Jesus has the ability, actually authority, to say with certainty whether there is one God or many and whether there are multiple ways to know him, or only one way. John 14, verse 6, continues with Jesus proclaiming, no one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, Jesus is the way, the only way to God. That's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But as human beings, we have, we have this problem. We like to do it our way. But it, You know, there's a familiar proverb that goes like this. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Once the cake is eaten, it's gone forever. Another way to say this is you can't have it both ways. Unfortunately, this was happening in the early church. Some early believers were straying away from the foundational truths that Jesus taught and lived out. And after Jesus was resurrected back to heaven, part of the church was drifting under the influence of some popular cultural forces at that time. In essence, a splinter group was trying to have it both ways. Jesus' way and the world's way at the same time. But like oil and water, they do not mix. This false teaching was That as long as my thinking was good, my behavior was no big deal. As long as my spiritual soul was good, the sins of my earthly body did not matter. The Apostle John in 1 John warned the church, bifurcated thinking leads to wrongful living. Again, bifurcated thinking leads to wrongful living. Today's Christians can easily drift away into this wrong, bifurcated lifestyle, just like back then. One day of the week, we act like Christians. And then the rest of the week, when we are outside the church, we behave another way. Like the proverb, you can't have it both ways. Even if we may only be slightly off from the true north, and that north being Jesus... We are still off the mark. And just like our GPS apps, when we get lost, we must recalculate when we go in the wrong direction to repent, to turn from the wrong way back to the right way. So in his letter to the church, the Apostle John points us in the right direction. This is the way. This is how Jesus wants us to to be and act, not in that false way. And that, in a nutshell, is what our current sermon series will be about. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-4, to 4, which I will read for us now, beginning with verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And that is the word of the Lord. Now, before we get into this scripture passage, I want us to understand that context matters. Without knowing original context and circumstance, we can get off track in our interpretation and application for today's times. Now, on Tuesday mornings, as the staff gather, we kind of get warmed up a little bit by debriefing on what happens on Sundays, what's going on in our lives before we get into our devotional and prayer time. And to show what I mean about context, recently I jumped into a conversation a bit late at our meeting, and I overheard one of our staff members asking if everything was okay with one of our lay members, who happened to miss, I think it was Easter Sunday. And Caitlin, who is one of the kindest persons I know, answered, they missed service because they had to go to the emergency room on Sunday they think they're gonna have to put her down. Now, did I hear right? I had to take a double take, and I jumped into the conversation and said, Caitlin, isn't that a bit harsh and cold to say that about one of our beloved members? And Caitlin started to laugh and told me she was talking about their family pet dog needing to go to the vet hospital. Big difference in context, right? When we study the Bible, it is paramount to know the context of the passages in original time and to the original audience. You've heard me say, Scripture is often descriptive, but not prescriptive. God's Word is inerrant, but man is not. 1 John was originally written to counter the false teaching that was spreading and growing out of an ancient Greek-Roman religious movement called Gnosticism. Now, I'm going to make a bold guess here right now that not a whole lot of you know what Gnosticism is all about. So, here's a little background on Gnosticism. Gnostic Christians, like the Jewish and Muslim religions, denied Jesus was the Messiah. Plus, they did not believe Jesus actually came in the flesh or into human form. That Jesus did not have a real human body, but was only a spirit, and consequently was not bodily resurrected after the crucifixion. And that actually, for true believing Christians, is a very critical fact. Because without that foundational truth, that Jesus came fully human, his death and resurrection would be meaningless and worthless for us humans to pay for the, the ransom for our redemption from God's wrath. It would be like apples to oranges versus apples to apples. Jesus came fully human. Gnostics comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And the Gnostics claimed there was a secret knowledge reserved for those with true enlightenment. And if you knew that secret password, then you got a pass to go to heaven. Your salvation of your soul can be had. And they believed that spiritual salvation was only important because the human spirit was naturally good and was trapped in evil bodies. As long as they possessed this special knowledge, they had salvation. How they behaved with their bodies, no matter how sinful or evil, was not important. And had no spiritual consequences. Gnostics basically believed they did not need Jesus as their savior. They could do it on their own. They were falsely teaching another way to God outside of Jesus. And John had to rebuke this in his letter to the church. Now for us today, does any of this sound familiar? Well, we just have to look at our own church history. Christian Layman Church was founded due to a similar false teaching. Seven families left a church to start this church because the pastor at their previous church was teaching other ways to get to heaven besides through Jesus. And likely this may be due to uh, our Asian culture. There are churches that believe their Buddhist family members will go to heaven without having to devote themselves to Jesus. That our God is so loving, he would make exceptions to his truth. Some churches have accepted multiple faiths can coexist, going against Jesus saying, I am the way. So a question for us to think about. What do you think? Deep down, do you believe Jesus is the only way to God? Are you? or others you know thinking like the Gnostics, that there are other ways. So what is the truth? John wrote, First John, to help the church discern the truth from error, both in doctrine and lifestyle. In his letter, John told them practically how to act as true followers of Jesus. And it wasn't without sound doctrine, because without a good reason and purpose, for how we are to behave, then it's all meaningless. So some of you are thinking, well, how is this relevant to us now? Gnosticism is ancient, but we are modern. Well, to help us out, and maybe to get you a little bit of a different perspective, here's a true-false quiz that I came up with, and I think it should be projected. <clears throat> so, true or false, prayer is more important Than mowing your widowed grandmother's lawn. Or, true or false, sharing the gospel is more important than taking a meal to a new mother and father just home from the hospital. True or false, doing sacred work such as preaching or being a missionary is more important than secular work such as accounting or being an engineer. And finally, true or false, As long as I'm reading my Bible and practicing other spiritual disciplines, premarital sex is okay. If you answer true to any of these, you fall in line with what the Gnostics were thinking, which contradicts Jesus' way. The first falsehood John dealt with was that Jesus was not human. Gnostics were saying Jesus was not real and only a spirit. In this first chapter, in 1 John Verses 1 to 2, John assures the believers back then and for us today, we have a real relationship with Jesus. Verse 1 says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Verse 2, the life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. John begins this letter with that which was from the beginning and mentions the word of life. Sound familiar? Well, it goes back to exactly what John wrote in the Gospel of John. John 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And a few verses later, John said, the Word became flesh. And there's no confusion that the Word is Jesus. In 1 John, John goes back to the basics and establishes the truth that Jesus was fully man and fully God. Jesus was a man that John saw personally, heard him, touched him. John experienced Life with Jesus. He traveled with Jesus. He ate meals with Jesus and did ministry with him. Jesus appeared before John and other disciples just like you are real before me now. Now, sadly, the world often downgrades Jesus to be just like Santa Claus or even like the tooth fairy. But John testifies that Jesus is not virtual, he is not intangible. He is not a figment of our imagination. When Jesus walked among us, he had bones and blood just like you and me. But Jesus is also God. Jesus was there in the beginning of creation with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. In verse 2, John proclaims that having a relationship with Jesus results in the most precious gift, and that is eternal life with God. Through Jesus, we can go to a place called heaven, but there's even more than that. A good friend of mine, Pastor Ken Jung, writes this. Jesus' Jesus' promise about paradise is not only about a place, and that's heaven, but it's also about a being with a person, and that's Christ. Something we learned during the pandemic. Loneliness is a prevalent human condition for many today. Real relationship with Jesus means we will never be alone again, and that is good news. Jesus will never abandon us. He is our advocate and guide, and Jesus speaks of him as our guiding light, and Caitlin's going to pick up that, that characteristic more for us next week. Once we have a real relationship with Jesus, the next foundational truth John shares is found in verse 3 of chapter 1 which is we have a fellowship with God and Jesus and with his people. And that's what verse 3 says. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is, a, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It's known by everyone that everyone wants to feel and need to be, to belong. Uh, Recently, with all the graduations out there, many universities invite um, celebrities to do their graduation commencement speeches, and recently I heard actress Michelle Yeoh give the commencement speech to this year's Harvard Law graduates, and she gave some wise counsel, and there was one that that fit this second foundational truth found in verse 3. Her advice was to find your people. That life will always have its ups and downs. There will be challenges and heartaches. Therefore, it's crucial to find a safe circle of friends, co-workers, family that you can lean into in those times. Another word which we use for fellowship, because fellowship often is not a common language word, is community. Community. A characteristic of true community is that we share things in common. If we don't have anything in common, then we don't have fellowship. John is saying in verse 3 that in the church, we can have that community together to fellowship with each other because we share the most fundamental thing in common. We share communion with God and Jesus. And a matter of fact, later... We're going to have communion at the Lord's table. And knowing John as a disciple of love, he cared about the church being a relationally healthy family. John's writings contain so much about how we are to love one another in our fellowship, in our community. And that is my hope, our hope, that our church can be a Christ-like, loving community. And that will be also covered in two weeks. A beautiful benefit of fellowship in the church is having friendships, brothers and sisters in Christ. And for myself, I can truly say I have found true friendship here at CLC. Like many of you in this season who are grieving over the loss of parents, each time I lost a parent, the people I wanted to be most with was with all of you. When both of my parents were gone, I realized in a way I had become an orphan. But here's good news Jesus loves orphans and widows. And as Jesus' church family, you love me in those times, I will forever be grateful. And I don't know if I could have managed those times using Michelle Yeo's uh, advice if I did not find a church as my so-called people. That's the nature of the fellowship that John was speaking about here in these verses. And in verse 4, John presents one last truth, which is with Jesus, we have joy that is complete because God can use us. Now, this, this concept of joy is kind of ambiguous and can mean a whole lot of different things to each one of us. If I was to ask you, are you feeling joyful today? It, it's kind of one of those things we're not used to talking about or even familiar with. So in my study prep, I found this insight from Bible teacher and pastor Ray Stedman. And he suggested exchanging the word joy that John used here in verse 4 with the word Excitement. And also, some manuscripts translate verse 4 using your instead of our. So we do those two things. We translate verse 4 as, we write this to make your excitement complete. A little bit different, maybe a nuanced way. Instead of saying, to make our joy complete, to read it this way, we write this to make your Excitement complete. So, what is John getting at about an excitement that's like joy? That's something as true believers were supposed to experience. So, try to follow me here. Verse 4 begins with, We write this. What did John write? John wrote verses 1 to 3. And saying, These truths, apparently, in verses 1 to 3 are the needed components complete joy in verse 4. According to Ray Stedman, first, when we have a relationship with Jesus, and second, experience fellowship with God and Jesus, God can then use us for his purposes. So a question for you to reflect on, to think about, do you feel any excitement and joy when you see God working in the world around you? know I do. Like now, with our new church home here, I see the excitement of how God is using us here to rebuild his house so God can be seen and people feel loved and lives can be changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. How we can fulfill our mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. That explains why in the midst of suffering and hardship, people can still be excited when they see God working in them and through them in the world. It's kind of a paradox. Why? People can be on a mission for God and no matter how difficult the circumstances, no matter how trying the, the, the things that are happening around them, they could be persecuted, they could be uh, whipped, uh, tortured, but they still can feel exhilaration. And that's the joy that John is talking about here in verse 4. So here's my challenge for you to think about. Are you experiencing excitement of how you are being used by God in this season of your life? Because that is the way, the pathway to experiencing joy. If not, my hope is this sermon series, This Is The Way, will help you get back into the groove. First John presents both doctrinal truth and how practically to live them out. Sound doctrine goes hand-in-hand hand with sound lifestyle. And today, my purpose was merely to give an introduction to this series. The following weeks, we're going to go into a little more doctrine, but also more practical and how that would look like in our lives. In the next three weeks, we will learn three things about Jesus And how that impacts our behavior. And giving you a little preview of what we're going to be covering. First, Jesus is light. So so stay out of the dark. Jesus is love. So stop hating and start loving one another. Third, Jesus is life. So death is not that bad. Caitlin and I will try to answer these two questions in our messages. Why is Jesus? Light, love, and life, and how is this important for us to know, and then respond appropriately in our action? Now, for extra credit, if you want to get more out of the series, I would suggest if you have time or interest to go back and review the Gospel of John, because it's basically uh, the, the the heart and soul of of what the apostle john is talking about in first john so if you want to go back and revisit the life of jesus and the way he wanted his followers to live just speed read through john and it'll be helpful jesus is the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth this is the way in a moment we will celebrate the fellowship we have with god and jesus through the lord's supper and pastor eric will come up to lead us in that time so let me close this time The time in his word with prayer. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your son, Jesus, who sacrificed himself on the cross for our sake. For those who have not made that commitment yet to change their ways and desire a better way for their lives, I encourage you to consider turning towards Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And Like many of us who have, you will have no regrets because this is the way. And I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.